She thought, honestly thought she was going to die. She was holding the back of her head because it felt like part of her brain was beginning to leak out from the bullet hole. So she knew if the paramedics didn't get there soon, her life was going to be over. Or at least that's what she thought. True story. Down in Arkansas, there's this lady named Linda. One day she went to the grocery store and she parked next to a car where she could see a lady sitting inside and the lady was holding the back of her head. But when Linda took a closer look, she could tell the lady was sleeping. So Linda thought, everything's okay. She went inside to do some shopping. Ten minutes later, she comes back out, saw the same lady still sitting there, still holding the back of her head, only now her eyes are wide open, and she looked scared. So Linda tapped on the window and asked, are you okay? And in a frantic voice, the woman said, no, no, I've been shot in the head, and I'm trying to keep my brains in. Please call the paramedics. So Linda immediately made the call, and it wasn't long before the ambulance and the police arrived, and they had to break into the car because all the doors were locked. But once they get inside the car, they discovered that this woman was not hurt at all. No blood, no bullet hole, no wounds of any kind. Instead, what they found was all this bread dough splattered all over the back of her head. You see, here's what actually happened. There had been one of those biscuit cans, one of those frozen Pillsbury biscuit cans that just suddenly exploded because of the heat in the car. And when it exploded, it made this loud noise. It sounded like a gunshot. It hit the woman in the back of the head, and it hit her with such force, she honestly thought she had been shot. So when she reached up to feel what had happened, she felt all that bread dough, and she thought part of her brain was beginning to leak out. So in that moment, she panicked. And she passed out. And that's when Linda first saw her and thought she was sleeping. But she wasn't sleeping. She was passed out. So when she finally came to, she just knew she had to keep her hands back there on the back of her head or everything inside her skull was going to come flowing out of that hole. I mean, this lady was scared. She honestly thought she was going to die. She was worried, really, really worried. And yet she worried for nothing at all. Now, don't you think that woman felt foolish? So foolish when she learned the truth about her situation. Now, it's easy for us to laugh at that, but the truth is we have all worried about things that turned out to be pretty foolish. Do you remember when you were a little kid and you went to visit your aunt or your aunt, and uh, you stayed overnight, and she had this old three-story house, and you slept in a room all by yourself, and it was kind of spooky because late at night the floors would creak and the wind would whistle as it came through the cracks in the window frame, and you felt like you were in a haunted house. But what scared you the most was that night, just before you fell asleep, there was enough light coming in through the window because there was a full moon that night. There was enough light coming in through the window that you could see a man standing in the corner of your bedroom. And you thought to yourself, who is that man and why is he standing there? And why is he not saying anything? Why is he just standing there and staring at me? I mean, you were absolutely terrified. And you knew as a little kid, you couldn't make a run for it because he'd catch you before you'd reach the door. So the only thing you could do was just lay there and pretend to be asleep. And yet all night long, you slept with one eye open, just in case that man made a move in your direction. And yet the funny thing, all night long, he never moved. He just stood there perfectly still. And the next morning when the sun came up, you discovered that wasn't a man standing in the corner of your bedroom. It was a coat rack with a hat on top. You spent the entire night in absolute torment because you believed something that wasn't true. Listen, worry is not healthy for the soul. And Jesus knows that. So that's why he's going to talk about it here. Jesus knows this is a battle that we all fight, but Jesus wants us to know this is a battle that we can win. So how do we do it? Well, let's take a look at what Jesus teaches. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start with verse 25. Just going to focus on a couple verses this morning. Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, do not worry. Now, this is a command. 
And he's going to repeat this same command three different times in the next nine verses. But when I hear that word command, and that's what he's doing here. When Jesus says, do not worry, it's an, it's an imperative. It's a command. But I hear that word command, and I get this picture in my mind. I think of a military setting. I think of a sergeant screaming in the face of a young recruit, come on, get your act together. What are you doing worrying? What you're worrying about is silly. Grow up, be a man, stop being afraid. You know, no heart, no compassion, no understanding. You just stand there and you wince as you see that harsh look upon his face, and, and you hear him chastise you for acting like a little kid, and you feel so foolish. Is that what Jesus is doing here? Is this how Jesus delivers this command? I mean, is he mad, upset? Is he irritated with this as he speaks these words? I don't think so. I don't think Jesus is chastising. I think when Jesus speaks these words, he's offering a word of comfort. Hey, I know life isn't easy. I know you're dealing with a lot, but I want you to know that's why I'm here. I am here to help you. You don't need to worry. In other words, I really believe when he speaks these words, do not worry. It's just like what we sang in the very first song today. These were tender words. And I think that for two reasons. Number one, over 300 times in the Bible, you hear God give this command, fear not, or don't be afraid. And yet every time God speaks that, the people he's talking to have every right to be afraid. I mean, the danger they are facing in that particular moment is legitimate. They have encountered something that is overwhelming, and they have every right to be concerned. So think of it like this. Think of worry or fear like a bully. You know, here's somebody bigger and stronger than you, and they're picking on you, and they're making your life miserable. And when you encounter that bully, you have every right to be afraid because now you're dealing with something that's too much for you to handle. And the only way to make that bully go away is if you have a friend come to your side, a friend who's big enough and strong enough to beat up that bully. Only then is the bully going to disappear. Well, that's exactly what you're reading. Every time in the Bible you come across these words, fear not. Every single time, here are these, here's either an individual or a group of people, and they've encountered some kind of a bully, a foe, an enemy, a set of circumstances that is terrorizing and just stressing them out. But God comes along and says, fear not. I'm going to take care of that bully for you. In other words, every time God issues that command, fear not, it's always offered as a word of encouragement, a word of hope. Well, I believe it's the same way here when Jesus says, do not worry. He's not scolding us. You know, like we've just been sent down to the principal's office and we're being reprimanded for our bad behavior. Come on, David, what are you doing worrying? Don't you know that's against the rules? Don't you know you're a Christian and you're not allowed to do that? Stop it, stop it, stop worrying. No, no. It's not scolding. I believe Jesus is speaking with a lot of compassion. Hey, I know you deal with a lot of scary stuff in this life. I understand that. But that's why I'm here. I'm here to help. I'm here to make a difference for you. You don't need to worry. Here's the second reason why I believe when Jesus is speaking, he's not scolding, but he's speaking with tenderness, with compassion. Is think about his audience. I mean, think about the people who are sitting here that, that day when he first gives this sermon. You know, we tend to think life back in first century Israel was pretty simple and easy. You know, back then people didn't have a lot to be anxious about. That's just so not true. They didn't have canned foods. They didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have fully stocked grocery stores. They didn't have closets that were stuffed with too many clothes. In fact, most of these people had two garments at the very most. Because 90% of the people who are sitting here this day were very, very poor. And back in first century Israel, you got paid on a daily basis. And you only got paid enough to take care of that day's needs. And in first century Israel, work was really hard to come by. 
I mean, from day to day, you didn't know if you were going to have a job. Every day you go down to the marketplace and consider the possibilities. Hey, is there some new construction project underway and they need an extra helping hand or any farmers who need some extra help in the field today? But there was no guarantee there was going to be a job waiting for you. So from day to day, you just never knew where that next meal was coming from. And then on top of that, the average citizen in first century Israel had to pay more than 40% of their wages in taxes. So when you did get paid, there'd be a Roman soldier standing right there ready to take about half of what you had out of your hand before you could do anything with it. I mean, life for these people was hard, really hard. They were dealing with all kinds of bullies. They had a lot to be worried about. And that's why I believe when Jesus speaks these words, don't worry, he's offering a word of hope. So before Jesus gets into all the practical insights on how do you handle your worries, and he's got a lot of insights to share in this scripture. But before he gets into that, verse 25, he first of all says, let me just offer a word of encouragement, a word of assurance. Hey, I know you're dealing with some bullies here, but that's why I'm here. I'm here to help you fight those bullies. So notice what Jesus says, verse, verse 25. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry. Don't worry about your life, you know, what you're going to eat or drink, or about your body, what you're going to wear, because think about this. Isn't life more than food, and isn't the body more than clothes? What's he telling us? Well, say you go to the jeweler one day, and, and he surprises you. He says, hey, I'm feeling really generous today, and I want to give you something. And he hands you this expensive diamond ring. He says, that's yours, my gift to you. Wow, you're stunned. I mean, this is amazing. You're deeply touched by his kindness. But think about this. If he was kind enough to give you that expensive ring, wouldn't he also be kind enough and thoughtful enough to give you a box to put the ring in? I mean, if he's willing to do the big thing, wouldn't he also be willing to do the little thing too? Absolutely. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Every morning when I wake up and I realize my heart's still beating, my lungs are still breathing, I'm alive because of the life that God has given to me. Well, if God was willing to do that big thing, don't you think he's also going to be willing to do the little things like make sure through the course of the day I'm going to have food to eat and clothes to wear so I can actually live this life, do something worthwhile with this life that he's given to me? Absolutely. In other words, what he's emphasizing here is never doubt this truth. God is on your side. He's for you, not against you. The God who made you is also the God who's going to sustain your life every single day. Now, after offering that word of encouragement, now Jesus says, let's get into the details. When those worries pop up in your life, and they will, because there's a lot to be anxious about here in this world. Let's be honest about it. But when the worries pop up, you can't keep that from happening. When the worries pop up, how do you deal with it? How do you cope with it? And he's going to begin to give us a bunch of practical insights. We're just going to look at one of them. Verse 26. Jesus says, look. And the word that he's using here, it means more than just a glance. Oh, yeah, I saw a bird. No, it means a long look. You consider carefully. You examine closely. In other words, study this and take notes because there's a lot of lessons you can learn here. So look, look at the birds of the air. Of the air, it's literally the word uranos. It's the word heaven. It's what Jesus has been talking about all the way through the Sermon on the Mount when he continues to refer to God as our Father in heaven. And many times he'll use the plural, in the heavens. Like in the Lord's Prayer, he taught us to say, Our Father who art in the heavens... Why did he use the plural? Well, back in that day and time, the Jewish people talked about, they were all the time talking about three heavens. You remember how the Apostle Paul mentioned 2 Corinthians chapter 12? says, one day I was taken up to the third heaven. What was he talking about? Well, for Jewish people, the first heaven, it's the atmosphere right around you, the air where you see the birds flying and the leaves blowing. 
And the second heaven is way up there in the sky where you can see the stars and the galaxies. And the third heaven is where the angels live and God sits in his throne. So when Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father who art in the heavens, he means understand your God it lives and works in every aspect of his creation. In every dimension of life, you're going to see evidence of his activity, whether he's keeping a planet in orbit or he's judging the angels or he's doing what Jesus talks about here. He's feeding the birds. Everywhere you look, you'll see God at work. So Jesus said, if you ever have those days where you're really having doubts and think, does God even notice? Is he even aware of what's going around? Is he even here? Jesus says, just take a long look at those birds and stop thinking, who's taking care of them? Who's feeding them? God is. He's right, he's right there. He is as close to you every single day. He is as close to you as the air you breathe. So Jesus says, take a long look at those birds and think about how God takes care of them. And notice the birds, they don't have a lot going for them. They can't sow or reap or store away. They don't have a lot of resources to work with. And yet every day, your heavenly Father, this God of ours, who works in every aspect of his creation, Every day he's working hard to make sure they've got some food to eat. Now Jesus says, if God is that concerned about those birds, how much more do you think he's concerned about us? I mean, if God is so concerned about some of the smallest, most insignificant creatures in the entire universe, that every day he's working hard to make sure they have food to eat, how much more is he going to care about us? We who are the most precious and the most important part of his entire creation. Now notice what we're learning here. God has concerns. He never worries but he does care about things. There are many things that God is intensely concerned about. In other words, we're learning it's one thing to be cautious and to be careful, and it's something else to worry. You know, if you're a parent and your children are playing there next to the street and you're not concerned about that, there's something wrong with you. Or you have a big presentation to make at work, or you have this big test to take to school, and if there's no nervous feeling in your stomach, you know that nervous feeling that that motivates you to want to prepare and study hard and really be ready for that special moment. If there's no nervous feeling there, there's something wrong with you. Understand how God made us. When, when somebody takes a swing at your face, what do you do? You blink. That's just natural. But if a friend comes along and laughs at you, hey, what'd you blink for? Did you honestly think I was going to hit you? Are you some kind of a coward? He's the crazy one, not you. To blink when something comes your way, that's natural. That's normal. It's a reflex. It's an, an, an instinct. It was given to us by God. And why? Because he knows what kind of world we live in. You're going to get yourself into all kinds of trouble if you don't take certain precautions. So when we get in the car, we wear a seatbelt and we make sure our kids are wearing one too. We wash our hands on a regular basis. We put on sunscreen before we head out to the beach. We look both ways before we cross the street because there are some legitimate dangers out there and we have every right to be concerned. That's not worry. We were made in the image of God. That means we were made to care about things. Worry, worry is when that concern goes haywire. And we begin to obsess about things that we can't do anything about. You know, worry is like a rocking chair. You know, you're moving back and forth, but you're not going anywhere. You're not accomplishing anything. A lot of activity taking place, moving back and forth, but not actually doing anything constructive for yourself or anybody else. That's worry. You sit and you fret. You're sitting there fretting about your finances, but just sitting there and fretting is not going to put money in the bank. It's not going to stretch your savings account. It's not going to reverse the decline in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. But I'll tell you what your worry will do for you. It'll cause you to lose sleep. It'll give you ulcers and high blood pressure and headaches. It'll sour your mood. It'll stifle your relationship with God. You see, when the concern is no longer constructive, where you're actually doing something to help the situation, now the concern has become destructive, then that concern is no longer concern. It's become a 
So go back to the birds. What did Jesus notice when he took a long look at the birds? Those birds are some of the hardest working creatures in the universe. I mean, no robin just on a daily basis just sits on the branch and opens up its mouth and says, okay, God, drop that worm in my mouth. doesn't work like that. Every day they're busy flying around, looking around, pecking and scratching in the grass looking for the next meal to eat. And, 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 and you think, you know, that little robin, it doesn't have, it can't sow, can't reap, can't gather harvest, doesn't have barns, tractors, combines, doesn't have a lot of resources to work with, very limited in its abilities, and yet that little robin never worries about what it can't do. Every day it's just busy doing what it can do, and then it leaves the rest of God. I'll just keep looking around, I'll keep pecking and scratching, trusting that eventually God's going to provide me with one of those worms. Busy, but never worried. Busy, but singing all the time. Now, here's the thing. If a little bird can learn to do that, can't we learn to do that too? Sure we can. So you stop and think about some of the fears you have in your life. We all have them. It's just part of being human and, and, and living in a broken down world. We all have some big fears. How do you cope? Well, the lesson from the birds. You do what you can do, and then you every day actively trust. That means you're praying a lot. But every day you're actively trusting God to do what he can do. So you do what you do, meaning, say you have this fear of crowds. But you've got to attend this concert because your little girl's performing. You've you got to be there for her. And yet, you know that place that night is just going to be packed with people. It's not an issue for anybody else, but it's an issue for you. Because all life long, and you won't be able to shake this, it's just who you are. All life long, you've had this fear of crowds. You've got to go. What are you going to do? Well, knowing your fear, in advance, you begin to take precautions so you don't get trapped by that fear. That means that night you get there early so you can pick your seat. It's not picked for you. You pick it. You pick a place in the aisle or a place that's really close to the door so that if later on that night one of those feelings of panic suddenly comes over you, you're prepared. It happens. All right. You get up. You step out of the auditorium for just a moment. Catch your breath. Pray a simple prayer. God, I want to watch my girl tonight. I want her to know I'm watching her. Help me calm down. See, you've taken precautions in advance to keep from being trapped by the fear. Say every day you're stewing on your way to work because every day you get stuck in the rush hour traffic. And man, the more you think about it, the more infuriates you. Every time you wind up at work, you're in this really foul mood. What can you do about it? Take a different route. Yeah, it's going to be a little longer getting to work. Or yeah, you have to leave the house earlier. But isn't it worth your while to start the day off in a good mood instead of all the time being mad about the traffic? Or say you're a hypochondriac. I mean, anything little goes wrong and you make a major event out of it. Stay off the Internet. Stop visiting all those medical websites. Stop diagnosing yourself. Just find a good doctor. I mean, a good doctor, somebody you can really trust, and then let him or let her provide the diagnosis. Let them prescribe the medications. See, every one of us, we have these, these weaknesses. Every one of us, we have these... These, these, issues, these tendencies in our lives to become alarmed or become overly concerned about something. And knowing that in advance, we take precautions. We do what we can do to keep from being trapped by fear. And then every day we actively trust God to do what he can do. Now, what about that trusting God part? Well, notice what Jesus says about that down here in verse 33. Jesus says, but seek, there's the key word, seek, go after, pursue, hunt. For this. Seek first his kingdom. Let Jesus really be in charge. Let Jesus actually be the king of your life. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. In other words, he defines what's right and wrong for you. He sets the standards in your life. You put your focus upon him and now all this other stuff, 
All these other issues and worries that we are going to have to deal with, but now we know I'm not dealing with it alone. My focus is on the one who's going to help me with those things. Now, this expression that Jesus uses here, to seek, back in the first century world, that was a hunting term. And, and you know, early in the day, the man would get up with his bow and arrow, and he'd go out, and he'd find a place to hide, and then he'd sit there and wait for the deer, the bird, or whatever animal he was hunting on that day. And back in the first century, they didn't do this for sport. This was done as a way to survive. You had to get some food. I mean, this is serious business. If he didn't bring the meat home that day, there wouldn't be any food in the table. His whole family is counting on him. What he's doing here is very, very important. And knowing that, that's why when that man sits there and waits, he focuses his mind. I mean, his eye is trained to look for that deer, that bird, whatever animal that he's hunting, that he's seeking on that day. Because the man knows, if I let my mind drift, if I begin to daydream, wonder, one second the deer's there and the next second it's gone, and I've missed my moment. And he can't let that happen. So he focuses, he concentrates all day long. That animal that he's seeking, that he's hunting all day long, that animal is the center of his attention. That's what the Bible's talking about here. To cope with the worries, you've got to make Jesus the center of your attention. Not the worries, but Jesus, the one who's going to help you with the worries. How does that happen? Well, it's Peter walking on the water. Here's Peter out of the boat and walking in the water. He's doing something that no other human being has ever been able to do, walking on the water. I mean, this is amazing. It's astounding. How does this happen? Because he's got his eyes fixed on Jesus. But you remember what happens when he takes his eyes off the Lord, and the Bible says, and he began to notice the wind and the waves. That's when he started to sink. That's when he went to pieces. He began to fall apart. The only way Peter could remain on top of everything so when he kept his heart and his mind focused upon the Lord. Max Lucado tells about a night he was on a plane. It says, late at night, ride was bumpy, plane was crowded, every seat filled, and everybody in that plane was tired and cranky and grouchy. I mean, nobody happy at all, except this one guy, a couple rows up. Max said, I could hear this guy laughing. I mean, just cackling with laughter. I mean, it was just obvious he was having the time of his life. And Max said, I, I thought to myself, why, why is he so happy when everybody else in this plane is so miserable? So he got up to find out. He said he walked up the aisle and he saw this man had a headset on. He was wired in to the plane's entertainment system. He was listening to a comedian. So he was hearing something nobody else was listening to. He was feeding his mind with something that nobody else was receiving. And because of what he was tuned in, because of what he was tuned into, this man had a whole different perspective on his trip, his flight, his journey, than everybody else on that plane. That's Matthew 6:33. While everybody else is worrying, we keep our heart tuned into Jesus. Meaning, every day, every day, we read our Bible and we pray. Every Sunday, every Sunday, we come together and we meet with the church. Every week, we stay connected to our small group. We meet on a regular basis with our accountability partner. When we listen to music, we don't just kind of do it at random. No, we listen to Christian music with Christian lyrics. This is why we watch the birds and we grow flowers and we play with our grandkids. Because in numerous ways, every single day, we're keeping our soul connected to God. And all that he is doing in this world. Because you see, when you're letting God feed your mind, not your worries, but when you're letting God feed your mind, you experience a peace that passes all understanding. Let's pray.